0: Well, hello, my friends. I'm glad you could be with me today as we're in God's Word together again in the Unfolding the Word ministry. we been in the midst of an extended study of 1 John, and today I want to continue that study. We're now in the fifth chapter. I'm going to pick up our reading in verse 6 of that chapter. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God is born concerning his son. If you've been with me, you realize the preceding verses to this portion of the fifth chapter had focused on the struggle that at times is there for us in keeping the commandments of God. As we are under the commands of agape love and needing to show it, that there seem to be so many things to oppose the expression of those commands, that sometimes the struggle seems to be real. And yet God reminds us that his commands are not intended to be burdensome in our lives. Coming to know Christ as Savior is supposed to have changed everything related to that issue of the burden of the law. We remembered that because we repented and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, from that moment onward our relationship with god our acceptance by god has nothing to do with our current obedience it has everything to do with the perfect life that the lord jesus christ lived so no we no longer approach the keeping of god's law in order to be saved or in order to stay saved instead we rest in christ's perfect acceptance and fulfillment of it as our hope for the future then that takes away some of the burdensomeness of the law of God. Secondly, God says as we respond to the gospel, he's made us a new creation. We've been born anew. And that fundamentally changes who we are at the deepest level. Now, as a result of that, the deepest level of us actually wants to obey God and to keep his word instead of the deepest level of us wanting to push for our own control of our lives and mastery of who we are and what we're doing. We also discovered that is a response to our new life in Christ, of our response to our repentance and faith in the gospel, the Holy Spirit now indwells us as God's children. And that indwelling Holy Spirit gives us enablement in order to carry out obedience that wasn't there prior to knowing Christ as Savior. So three great reasons why the commands of God are not burdensome to us any longer. Now, verse 6, as I read it to you, marks a shift In the focus of the passage, God is now turning attention to giving us evidences, testimonies, proofs, I guess we could even call them that, that this message of the gospel is actually true. That the gospel, which resulted in our acceptance with God, forgiveness, new life, indwelling Holy Spirit, and so forth, that this gospel is not merely a matter of wishful thinking. It's not merely a matter of our own sort of self-delusion that maybe everything is okay with God. God has given us actual evidences of its truth. He has given us three indisputable evidences, ultimately, that his promises related to the gospel are actually promises real for our lives. So let's begin to look at that. First of all, let me say that this Offering of these evidences, these indisputable testimonies and evidences by God is important because the fact of the matter is our eternity rises and falls on the truth of the gospel. There is no more important an issue in the world and in eternity than our soul standing before God. If the gospel is true, we have hope. If the gospel is not true, we have no hope. So God says, listen, I'm going to give you some evidences, testimonies, that it is true. Because if it's not true, you're lost still. You're unable to pay for your sin, and you'll be separated from me. No amount of turning over new leaves, no amount of religious ceremonies, none of that will ever change the reality of things. Only the gospel, with the message of the incarnation, the cross, the resurrection, offers any hope to fallen mankind. So let's get back to it. The question is, well, how do we know? How do we know that the gospel is true, that the promises linked to the gospel are confirmed by God? Well, let's look at it. He begins by telling us, or I guess I'll begin by saying, God has set a pattern in the scriptures of telling us that important truth claims must be supported by evidence. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, there's got to be some sort of confirmation of a very important claim that somebody is making. And make no mistake about it, the gospel is a claim that the scripture is making to us about the answer to sin and our hope of eternal life. But the principle relates to other things. In the Old Testament, in the book of Numbers, in verse in chapter 35, verse 30, we read these words. If anyone kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death on the evidence of witnesses. But no person shall be put to death on the testimony of merely one witness. Here was a claim, a truth claim being made. This person was guilty of murder. And God says that's a very important truth claim. Not as important as the gospel, but very important then one must not admit it as truth until you have two evidences not even just one but two witnesses to the very fact of the murder taking place and so you see the connection between truth claim and evidence god says the more important the truth claim the more important the evidence to confirm it in first john or i'm sorry first timothy chapter 5 verse 19 we read these words Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. In this case, the important charge has to do with an accusation against a spiritual leader in the church, a pastor, an elder, or so forth. And God says that's a very important truth claim. (laughs) And you must not give credibility to it. You must not assume it's truth unless you have two or three witnesses to confirm it. Same with the gospel. By the way, that caution about admitting an accusation against a spiritual leader in the church is so important because there will always be the possibility of an individual who's lying because of some personal vendetta against a spiritual leader. And so you can't accept what one person says. You need a confirming batch of witness to act on it. Very caught, very important. Jesus, in speaking to the Jews, in John chapter 8 said this, In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. Do you see the multiple witness issue there? Then Jesus talking about the witness to his own personal claims here, which is really the issue here in 1 John as well. Well, the gospel has to do, as I said before, with the most important most fundamental truth of eternity in life. It's not something we want to get wrong. Is the gospel true? Because our eternal destiny makes a difference. First John, in talking to us about the gospel, has made a number of truth claims. It is claimed that Jesus Christ was born in the flesh, the Word made flesh to dwell among us, the truth of the Incarnation. It has made the the claim that Jesus Christ was the propitiation for our sins, that he died in our place on the cross. He shed his blood on our behalf. It has made the claim that he now lives and is in the presence of the Father, ever living to intercede for us, that he is our advocate with the Father. Amazing claims all intersecting the wonder of the gospel. And so it makes sense that those claims need some collaborating evidence. The witness of two or more. And so God gives us three testimonies to the truth of these amazing claims about the gospel. The three testimonies are the water, he says, the blood, and the Holy Spirit. Join me tomorrow as we continue on in these verses and look more closely at each of these collaborating testimonies to the truth of the gospel.